All right, I'm going to pray, and then, uh, then we'll go, go to whatever's next. So, Lord, uh, I thank you that you're in the room tonight, and uh, we're here for you. God, Israel didn't camp around the sermon. They camped around the presence. And, Lord, we're here to camp around your presence tonight, truly, Jesus. And so uh, whatever you want it to be, whatever you want it to look like, you have permission to have your way because we want to behold God. And so we honor your presence, Lord, and we honor your voice, and we ask that you speak in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So I'm a, I'm a strong believer that if you can't take risk in this building, you're never going to be able to take them out there, right? And I think I hold myself to that foremost, uh, that when it comes to ministry, sometimes we look at church as like, let's create this very structured, safe environment. And that really does not mirror real life because there's really not that much that's real, like, ordered, right? You don't really know what real life's going to look like. Um, and I'm saying that uh, because uh, I don't do this often, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a real <laughs> risk, I guess, tonight. But I, had a, I have a whole sermon planned, prepared, I promise, right here, back in my journal here about three pages worth. Um, during worship, I just felt like the Lord said, no, it's not the word of the Lord tonight. So it's not what I want to talk about. I said, okay, what do you want to talk about? He said, I'll tell you once you get up there. <laughs> so um, so here I am, um, and I'm, I'm honestly, um, I'm fine. And, I, and I, the one thing I felt like he told me to do is um, I want to take you into my process of what it means to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit and even in the, how we're building the fabric of this church. Um, because we're not trying to create a really, really good program for you or a really, really good structure. We're truly trying to build and camp around the presence of God. And Israel was camped, and they would be camped there, but then when this pillar would move, they had to go. And if they stayed, they weren't with the presence. And uh, so I'm not against uh, structure. I'm not against planning. I think we plan and we prepare so that when, and then we also hold it with open palms. Right, so that if God wants it, that's not we, we're following the presence, right? So it's like this co-laboring relationship. And I don't know that He's ever kind of done this quite this way to me before, but uh, He's changed things up. But He changed things up real quick on me. Uh, but He has permission to do that. Um, and so, really, I'm just going to demonstrate uh, the best that I can, following Him in this time of where He wants uh, me to take. Uh, take us and what he wants to speak and and I don't know what that means it will be messy it will be real it will be uh, I don't know um, the the foundation of kind of my preaching ministry really like the moment that I was commissioned uh, I had a a woman in uh, Africa named Heidi Baker and I had gone there I, I knew who she was she's she's a very prominent ministry a lot of people would know her and more of the charismatic streams of the church and uh, is really the fundamental voice of a movement that's shaping and discipling a nation of like 100,000 church plants in the last probably 20 years and uh, now a multinational ministry called Iris Ministries. Her and her husband, they're both uh, PhDs in universities in England. And uh, I'd heard about what God was doing, so I wanted to go there myself. Um, I didn't want to go to Africa, though, so that I could figure out, like some people go there because they have a heart for Africa, I guess what I'm trying to say. I wasn't going there because I had a heart for Africa. I was going there because I knew that there was something that I needed from Heidi Baker. And I don't know how else to say that, but I, I just, 
Like I knew I needed something that I did not currently have in the Lord. And I'd been called, I was called uh, in, in a way that I knew it was God. Um, I'd finally accepted a call to preach when I was, um, I was probably 22. And it was right at the beginning of my senior year of college. Maybe I was 21, I was probably 22. And, but I still had this gaping insecurity and fear of like, how called am I? Am I really called? Like, how do I know that this is real? How do I, you know, you just like, you play all these mind games with yourself. And I was just, I, I was so, like my whole life was so wrapped into athletics that when athletics left, um, and it was a slow leave because I was <laughs> clinging to them with everything of my, of my strength. So it took literally like three years before I fully like let go of the dream. Um, and it, and it, put me like into an identity crisis and so even though like now that you know it's like okay there's this call to the church there's this call to preach and I can get passionate about that but how called am I you know like how do I know like you know because athletics was always my dream that was my dream that I wanted God to come fulfill for me Um, and I didn't know how to dream a dream with God I didn't know how to I didn't know how to like rest in the fact that I had a dad who would dream something bigger for me than I could for myself I'd spent my whole life striving to create. And so I, I went to Africa. I'd had a, a series of dreams, actually. Um, and uh, two in particular that are pertinent to tonight. And one of them, um, she, I, I, my, I went through like five years of a really darkness in my life. And it was like five years of hell. And at one point, the Lord said, I want you to write, what, um, write this story so that you can process your pain. And so I kind of like, I had all this, my pain was all internal and loss and relational loss. Like there wasn't, it wasn't like I broke my body or I had, like someone died. It was just like the only really external thing was a divorce, but everything else was hard to like have people relate with because it was my own internal pain. And that really is what marks the Western world as a deep internalized pain as associated to where there's like physical poverty and suffering and hunger in the global south, but that's not so in America. It's internalized pain. So I had written this book, um, book, that's an over-exaggeration. <laughs> it's like a manuscript with a lot of words. Um, but what I had done is I had like created another world, like a metaphor world to help and put myself in it to try to, to try to like make more concrete my pain, if that makes sense, to like process it. And a huge, like literally half of it, I'm literally in hell in the book. So um, that will make sense in a sec. But I had this dream, and in the first dream, she held me in her arms and said, I'm so sorry for the pain that you were in. You need to come to my school in Africa. And I woke up from the dream. I was like, that was weird, you know? But I was like, okay, I, I better go. And then the second dream I had, um, she was standing in front of me, and she said, you're going to preach at my church this Sunday. And I was like, in the dream, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like what? You know, this is like, I was a golfer. So this was like Tiger Woods being like, you're playing golf with me this Sunday, right? And I was like, so literally in the dream, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And like, I had an iPhone in the dream and I got a, a phone call that was te- like from Heidi Baker and it said this, it like had my instructions for where I was gonna go. And then I ended up in this big building. It was like this thing full of uh, like African people. And I didn't have anything prepared. And like, so I was just standing there like this with like all these people just looking at me. It was like the worst dream of my life. It was a nightmare, I swear. And I was just like, and the whole time I was sitting there and I was like, 
God. Like, I was, like, listening, like, what are you saying? Like, what are you saying? Like, I was straining to, like, hear, kind of like right now. <laughs> God, <laughs> what do you want me to say? <laughs> That's funny, Lord. Um, anyways, to the point, though, like, and I couldn't hear a word. It was like crickets inside my spirit, right? And I'm just standing. And, like, to the point that literally, like, someone had to come up in the dream and take the mic out of my hand and be like, hallelujah, and, like, try to, like, save the service, right? And I immediately get it. I walk off the stage, and I go, and I start doing in the dream what I had done to myself my entire athletic career, which was beat myself to a pulp and criticize my failure again and again and again and again. That was always my MO. If I succeeded to my own standards, it was good, but I would always just, just beat myself up, um, because I, I felt like, you know, I had to strive, strive, strive. I was always trying to earn something. So, um, and, the, and I'm, as I'm beating myself up, you idiot, you just stood up there and you didn't say a word. And Heidi Baker asked, like, I'm just beating. And uh, Jesus literally comes and he, he walks right in front of me. And when I saw him, like, I was just, like, overwhelmed. It was probably one of the most clear times I've ever, like, seen Jesus. And he looked at me and he said, do you know why you failed? I said, No. He said, you failed because you were looking for something like it was out there. He said, my kingdom is inside you. And I woke up from the dream. And uh, I, w- I mean, I was so profound, I started telling everybody. I was like, dude, I had the craziest dream. I was like, preaching, I get it. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah. And he said, his kingdom is inside me. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, I was like, I'm writing this down for application. I'll preach on this someday, right? Um, didn't really think much other of it. So I went, I ended up in Africa within like the next six month season. I don't remember the exact timeline. And, um, there's this day, um, I, I'm in this identity crisis, which I had been in for years at that point. And, uh, there's this day when the way Heidi ministers, if anybody's ever seen it, she'll like preach and then she'll start like, she's very prophetic and, but she'll be like, like a common day, she'd be like, I see seven people backpacking through Nepal with the Jesus film preaching the gospel. Like, who, who is that? And then like seven people would be like, yeah, we're going in December. Like, and they'd stand it like, that's just like very common for how she ministers. She's very, very gifted and a unique gift for the body of Christ. But so, but she would like do that. Then she'll like throw out another thing. Then she'll throw out another thing. Then she'll throw out another thing. And then, then she'll like kind of make her way and pray for the people. Does that make sense? So that was kind of like, she did that a few times while we were in Africa. And uh, this day, um, she starts ministering, and as soon as she started speaking, my whole body, like, started, like, trembling inside me. And she said, I, she's like, I, I, see, I see a vision of hell. She's like, I see a vision of hell. And someone in here, she's like, you, you went through a, a vision of hell, and it changed everything about your life. And she said, and now you're a preacher of the gospel, She's like, and I see you standing before thousands and thousands of people preaching the gospel. And she's like, I know this call because it's my call. She starts, and starts prophesying. And I was like, literally, my insides were like, like I thought I was going to like pass out. She said, if that's you, raise your hand. But I'm in a missionary training school. So everybody, oh, yeah, that's me, you know. Um, I don't know how many. But the Lord spoke to my heart. And he said, you raise your hand and you don't take it down until she lays hands on you. For like 45 minutes, I kid you not, I was like, gosh I'm like sitting on the ground then I was like can I switch hands Lord <laughs> so I'd like you know 
something back, but I did my hand, did, my, I had a hand over my head for the next 45 minutes, you know, and uh, eventually she made her way up, and I just, I looked at her, I popped up, and I said, you gave a word about someone that had gone through hell, and there's called to preach the gospel, I said, I think that might be me, and she looked at me, and it was just like the dream, she looked at me, smiled, grabbed me in her arms, starts praying over me, and starts prophesying over me, and then at the end, she looks at me and says, you're preaching at my church this Sunday. And in that moment, I looked, went white as a ghost because it all flooded back. And literally, I went so white, she looked at me and she said, that's a good thing. Be excited. I was like, she's like, be happy. You're a preacher of the gospel. And I was like, like literally, I went pale because I was like, this is crazy, right? And uh, I didn't have a phone while I was in Africa, but like... Um, my, we had like house dads type thing, almost like in dorms. He had an iPhone that they like gave the number. So I, I, would, I got a text message one day on an iPhone from Heidi Baker with all my information of where I was going. And I ended up, when I got to the church building, there's very few like it, big buildings. And it was, uh, it was at a base about a half hour away. And it was a big, big construction building with a sea of African people, just like I had seen in the dream. Um, but before I, um, I had like two days before that, um, when that happened, and then when I was preaching, and so what was I going to do, like, so my fear, my, one of my biggest fears was public speaking in life, I didn't like it, very, very uncomfortable for me, I would memorize every single word, because I have a good memory, I remember in uh, high school, I had to write a speech, and I had forgotten about it, <laughs> I do that often, and I had to give the speech second period, and I remembered the beginning of first period, so I wrote that speech and memorized it first period, and then gave that speech and got an A on it second period, and I was so nervous, I thought I was going to pee my pants, did not like speaking, like it was, not a, it was not a joy, I began to have a passion to communicate the word of God, but it was a very, very, like tra almost traumatizing, the first time that I had to preach, uh, it was because I found out I had to get share a testimony at Eagle Naz, and I ran away, literally got in a car and drove away from the church. And the Lord came to me that night and said, why did you deny me? And I started weeping. And uh, he said, fast. And I've never fasted in my life at this point. I was like 17. I was like, how long? He said, till, I hear, till you hear my voice. I thought that meant like an audible encounter. So I was like, Am I going to die? Like, how long, how long till you're going to speak to me, Lord? So I'm like doing this fast. It's like two and a half days. I'm dying. And I sit down with my pastor and he goes, he goes, hey, so uh, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, because it was like a little tiny service that I was supposed to share my testimony. He said, the Lord told me you're supposed to share both services on Sunday. And I was like, what a joke, right, in my mind. And he goes, what have you been doing the last few days? I said, well, I was really convicted. And the Lord said, fast till I hear his voice. He said, you just heard his voice. He wants you to share his te your testimony on church on Sunday. That was the only reason I ever spoke for the first time. I was so nervous. I was sitting in the front row. My knees were knocking like this. And literally, the pastor's wife, is, um, Melody Bonnet, even asked, she literally thought I was going to vomit because I looked so bad. Okay, so like that's, that's my concept of public speaking. Um, so even when I um, started like feeling this call to it, it was very driven up in performance, right? Like, so I would like scrutinize and make sure that I just had it like verbatim perfect. And it was like self, just a lot of self in there. So my own identity issues. So um, what am I going to do now that I've got like my new Tiger Woods wanting me to preach at a church, right? Uh, I'm going to preach a dang good message. So I'm sitting in this hut trying to prepare this perfect message that Heidi Baker is going to hear about, right? 
And uh, the Lord, um, I could literally hardly write a word on my little journal. And the Lord came to me and he said, why did you fail? And he said, he said, I failed because I didn't believe that it was in me. It was like out there. And he said, do you believe I've called you to preach the gospel? I said, yeah. He said, do you believe my kingdom's inside you? I said, yeah. He said, then don't prepare a word. He's like, I want you to go and stand and let me fill your mouth. And uh, that's what I did. It helped that there was triple translation. I'm not going to lie. Gives you a little more time to process your thoughts. Uh, but God spoke powerfully, ministered powerfully. Probably, probably 200 people came forward to the altars and crying and ended up in ministry. And um, it wasn't so much about that day as about, but something happened in me, and the fear of man broke off my life uh, as pertaining to public speaking. I honestly have not had anxiety towards it ever since. Uh, and it was the day that I felt the Lord commissioned me uh, into my calling. And I'm not sure exactly why the Lord having me share that, other than that was kind of like the foundation of what ministry was to me, is you just believe that it's inside you, and you listen to me, and you obey my voice. So even like fast forward now, like I believe in preparation. I do not preach spontaneous sermons. You need to be intentional about what you're doing. Um, but that's kind of like my grid for ministry. And I really feel like I almost want to draw you into like, like we all have a responsibility to listen and obey. Like a lot of times we come to church and I think we see it too robotic. We see it like, oh, God just shows up in worship and the message is powerful or whatever. And we just like, you know, and it's just like, yep, check, like check, check when it's like it, it, it removes ourself from a place of responsibility in the worship experience because the reality is like we're a building and there's structure, but we're also a body, which is organic and human and every part has to be working. So when we're coming to like church and you're coming to worship, like we're coming to receive, but there's also a sense of engagement that's required on your part. Like we're all coming to camp around the presence, right? And I believe that if we want to see the manifest presence of God, it looks like the priesthood hosting the presence well, right? Like we've all been given a capacity to house God, like he's upon each one of us, right? His spirit is within each one of us. And I believe that, you know, we pray often, we want to see, we want to see more of you, God. We want to see your manifest presence. We want to see your face. That's probably the cry of my life. If I could sum it down to a few words is I want to see your face. Um, but we, it, that doesn't just rest on the worship team and, like, the minister. Like, if God is coming in, you know, he wants you to do something that's uncomfortable during worship and you don't do it, it's not that he's not in the room anymore, but he inhabits the praises of his people, right? Like, he, he's upon you, and we, become, we stunt it off. You see what I'm saying? So, like, imagine if every single person that comes into a room on any night fulfills their duty well. Like, they're obedient to the voice. They're responsive to what heaven. For some of you, it's like, it's like as simple as, like, kneel. Like, kneel during worship. You just feel prompted like that. Anybody felt prompted before to get on their knees and kneel? Yeah, right? Has anybody felt prompted to, like, you know, raise your hand when it's uncomfortable? To get flat on your face, right? To, like, anybody ever feel prompted to, like, dance? Happened to me, like, one time in Africa, and I was still terrified. <laughs> I was like, I don't want anybody to see me right now, Lord. As, uh, you know, like, that was literally, and I did it, and it was the weirdest 30, 40 seconds of my life, but I obeyed. 
honestly. I was like, please don't let me do that again, right? Um, but again, like, it's not about the point about our preference. It's about, like, we're coming with, like, I'm coming to host his presence. See what I'm saying? And I think there's, like, an increase of God when a people begin to be camped around God. And I'm not just coming to sing my songs. I'm coming to be in response to you. Like, I'm looking for you, right? And so much of how, like, I do church as a pastor. So we're in pre-service prayer. A big reason I do pre-service prayer is because often what happens there is, like, I start seeing what's going to happen here. And I start, it's like the posturing of my heart. We were in pre-service prayer tonight. And it just, like, it just felt different. It just felt different than normal nights. It wasn't bad. But I just, I knew something was like changing. I was just like, this doesn't feel comfortable right now. What's going on? And then I got to worship and I'm just like, okay, Lord, what are you doing right now? Because right? I'm not just here to sing four songs and preach a message. And then, you see, I mean, you get into that cycle real quick. Like, we're here for you. What are you doing? Like, how do we partner with you? What is my role tonight? Do you want me to receive? Do you want me to give? Do you want me to intercede? Do you want me to, you know, do you want me to high praise? Do you want me to raise my hands? Do you want me on my face? Like, like, we all have a responsibility, and I think when we start seeing that and start stepping into that together, we together begin to house him more well. Does that make sense? There's like this increase because it's this corporate, it's like a corporate anointing. And the, the, the world is, like, to me, that's a healthy family. Like, that's a healthy church. That's a healthy body. Um, we want to be a healthy building um, in the sense that we have solid structures, that we have excellence, that we work to do things with class and very well. We want, you know, like mu music's a great example. We want beautiful music, right? Like if your music sounds like crap, it doesn't matter how great your heart is, right? You're like, oh, it's kind of hard to worship to right now, right? Like it's on tune, bing, bing, bing. You'd be like, oh, I love your heart, right? But it's just, uh. you know, so it's not like oftentimes we want to throw one out or throw out the other. And we're trying to do this, you know, where we're embodying both. Does that make sense? Um, what I really feel like God wants to do right now is, like, stir up hunger um, and, like, stir up capacity. Because where we're going and what I want to preach is on mission. Uh, be a missional people. What does it look like to uh, impact individuals like we think oftentimes of mission as individual well it depends what stream you're in like more of like the evangelical particularly probably like the non-denominational charismatic perspective is they look at mission on a very individual level like let's go lead these people to the lord let's pray and see people healed right let's open blind eyes let's do like like let's minister to individuals and they find that obviously in the life of jesus I'm going to exemplify this more, but I want to make this a small point. And then a lot of, like, social gospel churches, some people say, oh, we're losing. You know, we don't preach Jesus. We're just doing a social gospel, which is, like, we're doing good works. Like, we have good feeding programs. We're learning how to, like, we're creating structures in society that are, like, helping and doing common civil good. Does that make sense? A lot of times these two are, like, divided and throwing stones at one another um, when the reality is, like, we're called to be mission on both. Like, Jesus confronted the structures of oppression, and he also confronted individuals and ministered to individuals. Like, the Samaritan woman, he sat with her and ministered to this broken woman and set her free and released her into an evangelistic ministry, and the whole city was saved because of her testimony, right? But he also gave the parable of the Good Samaritan, which was 
um, basically confronting the racism of the Jewish people, that you have this racist structure, and he attacked the structure. You following me? Like, he loved poor people, and he healed them, but then he also went to the temple and turned over the money changers because that was a system of exploitation that was exploiting the poor people out of their money, and Jesus would have nothing of it. So, like, there's both. Jesus does both structural and individual, and I want to embody that, but I feel like, I feel like if, if, if you go there before it's about the presence, it becomes, it, it becomes performance. It becomes like you're striving or I'm going to do this or I'm like supposed to like, there's something like mission is like the crown. It's like the diamond that rests upon this setting. And the setting is a heart that knows how to host the presence of God. And then it like revival, like personal revival, corporate revival in a church, it should birth mission. Like if you go back through church history, the nations that went through big revivals are the nations that send the most missionaries out. There's just this link between like the indwelling manifest presence of God and then the sending and the doing of the gospel. Does that make sense? So it's like, I almost felt like, I don't know why, but it's like, I was like on this word all week and then the Lord's like, no, this isn't the word tonight. Um, I feel like he wants to create some capacity for hunger um, and expectation for what does it look like, you know, for God. Because God is big and God is powerful and God is a miracle worker. And I think sometimes we get into a rut of like normal life and we lose expectation for the inbreaking of God's kingdom. When like John the Baptist was at the Jordan and he's preaching this message, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. You familiar with that? That was his message. Like, don't do this, don't do that. He was calling people out, you brood of vipers. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Right? And then like his cousin comes a couple years into his ministry and preaches a different message. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I think sometimes we get stuck into this rut of like, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. Like, revival's near. It's all just around the corner. Like, the kingdom of heaven's near. And we're not living in, no, no, no. Repent. Change the way you think. The kingdom of heaven is here. Right? It's not near anymore. It's here. And, and, I think when you get, you can just go through the motions, go through the motions, go through the motions, and then mission can just become like the most uncomfortable motion. Oh, now I gotta go talk to people, <laughs> right? It's like, can we just do a Bible study? That's a little less uncomfortable, right? These people are Christians. We can talk about Jesus. We pray. Let's pray. But mission, gosh. That's weird. It makes me uncomfortable, right? It's like another thing in the motion. When I think mission, if it's viewed from the right context of like the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you're like, all right, who can I pray for next? Like, who, where, where's, the next, where's the next place I can pour out? This is what I was born to do is see the kingdom of God come. Holy cow. Where's the next, like, I'm going to chase him down on the street and pray for him. I've done that. It's weird, but I wanted to see the kingdom, 
literally, I've pulled over my car on the side of the road and ran to a bus stop where I saw a guy, can I pray for you? Like, and I don't do this all the time. Like, it's, I'm preaching to myself. There's like this, you can get so busy doing church and doing life that like, you're, now, you're not, not on that cutting edge of like, the veil is so thin and I'm like passing it constantly. And there's like, it's at hand. The kingdom's at hand, right? Um, and so I want to just create some capacity because there's been, the Lord's been wetting my appetite, honestly, even just recently. It's like he's, like, I've been in this place where, like, I know, I've seen it, I've seen it, but it's like he's wetting something in me that I'm hungry for more. Like, I'm hungry for more, God. I'm hungry to see your kingdom. I'm hungry to see individuals ministered to, and out of that, see structures change and a city transformed. But, like, it starts with individuals. It starts with relationships. It starts with, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe that you can do the impossible through me, right? And I just, like, it's like the Lord's just been reminding me, and it's just been, like, awakening this hunger. And, like, it's like this fire. When God gets you, it's like fire, and you're not... It's not controlled anymore. Our God is an all-consuming fire. That's not controllable. It is all-consuming. It just consumes. It just consumes the people around you. And it's like he's, there's just been seasons, and I think God takes us through seasons of hiddenness and seasons of manifestation, seasons like winter and seasons like spring. And I just feel like something's happening in me, and I feel like that's, like, that's God's like, that's the message. It's not about the mission yet. Like, that's the message is wet the appetite to see the inbreaking of God's kingdom come, like, because it's, it's here. It's here. Like, God wants to do things that don't make sense through you. It's here. The kingdom's here, right? He still opens blind eyes. He still opens deaf ears. He still speaks very clearly, very poignantly. And he's still, like, he's still very vibrantly at work, right? And I was, I was reading, I was reading, uh, I wasn't reading. Uh, I, I'm just going to share some testimonies of kind of like, um, there's a, do you remember when we did the healing service here, like, three months ago? Anybody? Was anybody here? Remember? No? Yes? Yeah, we did that healing service, and, you know, we prayed, and it's uncomfortable for me to do that. Um, honestly, it's easier to pray for healing in the third world than it is for here, and it's like I'm having to work through this thing. But the next morning, literally, I was like, I, I don't even know why I was in somewhere, and I all of a sudden was just like, I need to go eat at Costa Vida. It was weird. So I, I went to Costa Vida. I walked in, and I heard this uh, someone say uh, my name. And uh, it was a lady that I knew not very well. And then she was with her son, Hayden. I don't know if he's here. He was here last week. And uh, he, he, uh, she's like, he had surgery. He had been on this whole ordeal with his shoulder. And uh, she's like, I was just telling the testimony of when you'd prayed and seen your brother's um, broken wrist healed. And, uh, and I was like, no way. And I was just like, I was in my head. I was like, I just preached on healing last night. So I was like, I just felt like it was a divine appointment. So I was like, can I pray for him? Prayed for him. And uh, he, nothing happened. And I was kind of like bummed. I was like, man, that just seemed like it was this, this divine appointment. Why didn't something happen? Like, you know, um, he came to me last week. He came to church. I hadn't seen him since three months probably. He came up to me. He was sitting right there after service. Came up to me. He said, I came here to talk to you. I said, What? said, I woke up the next morning. It was all over. I'm good. Left the house. He's like, I've been skeptical. He's like, I was skeptical about God and all this miracle stuff. He's like, but I got healed. He's like, I'm good. It was all over. He's like, and I got baptized two weeks ago because of it. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, the kingdom of heaven's at hand, right? It's not, like, near. Like, there's, you know, like, I feel like 
once you start living in this place of capacity and expectation, God just starts bringing people into your path like, what can you do? What can you give? Right? I just got a message today from someone that I gave a prophetic word to literally like four years ago. I've never spoken to him since. I only know him by name. I was walking out of a coffee shop. Literally, the Lord said, go tell this kid. And he just, I just got a Facebook literally today. And it said, I would really like to meet with you. I never told you, but that was one of the most encouraging t- moments of my whole life. I was like... Are you kidding me? Like the kingdom of heaven's at hand. All I did was like stopped on the way out and walked back and gave a word, right? And it's like, like God wants to create a capacity and this hunger for like, what does it look like today? You know, like this hope of like, he really wants to use you and it's not like far out. Like there's like hope in the Bible is this. Uh, We think of hope as it's like, I hope that happens. I hope God uses me to heal. I really hope one day you'll do something amazing in my life. Like, I hope. And it's genuine, but I'm, I'm hoping, right? Hope is more like this. Like, it's like, on, on my, we lived in like a two-story house, most of like my childhood, like maybe like eight years old to, I don't even know, 15, so like the real good Christmas years, because my Christmas years went longer than most. So it's so a real devastating day when I figured out Santa wasn't real. My mother and father manipulated my gift of faith. I believed in the room fairy, the tooth fairy. I believe Father Gold was at the end of the rainbow. Seriously, believed this stuff. But I used to get like, I used to get a dollar if I cleaned my room because the room fairy came. (laughs) Who doesn't want to believe that, right? Like, so needless to say, my little brother found out about three years before I did. And he kept it a secret for me. I was devastated when I found out. Um... But anyways, on Christmas, we all slept upstairs, but we had this big vaulted ceiling. That was where, like, the, the, you could see the top of the Christmas tree, but you couldn't see the bottom where all the presents were. And, you know, when you wake up on Christmas in the morning, you're like, this is a good day, right? Like, can we go downstairs? Can we go downstairs? Like, and I was usually the last one up, but my brother's, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. You know, I'd be like, can we come down? Literally every year. No, five more minutes. Oh, can we come down yet? Like, please, please. You know, you're like freaking out inside. Like, oh, can we come down? Like, not yet. Just a few more minutes. It was like agony to your soul, right? Because in that moment, we were consumed with hope. We were consumed with a confident expectation that goodness was coming just that morning. Right? And I think, and the reason was because I thought Santa was doing it. I had a lot of confidence in Santa, which came from a deeper confidence in my parents. Now that I'm a little, you know, I'm a wise guy now. I figured it out. <laughs> but it's because I knew my parents were good. So I didn't have to see it. I didn't see anything. I had, it was actually unseen to me, but it did not alter my hope in any way, shape, or form. And I believe that God wants to release hope into us of what does it look like for him to use you because though my parents are good they're not like him and he is the father of lights without shadow or variation who who's the same yesterday today and forever he's good he's always good he has something good for you like tonight he has something good for you tomorrow morning he has something good for you on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday. He doesn't waste things. He's not just creating. He creates every day, and it's amazing. And we get so caught in the monotony and the routine that it's like we just walk right out the door and don't realize that there's, like, Christmas presents waiting for us. And I'm not saying every season is, like, this happy cheerio time. What I am saying is that every day he is giving grace, and it's abundant. 
And we're so in like, oh, this is a good day. This is a bad day. Mondays are awesome. Or Mondays suck. Fridays are awesome. Love Saturdays. Um, Sundays are cool too because church is rad. Like we have it all figured out and contextualized in our mind. And God's like, why don't you just start hoping that I'm alive and the kingdom of God is at hand and you are the primary means for seeing it come from my world into this one. Like what would happen You see how mission starts being transformed from that place? Because now it's not like, okay, that's just another thing I have to fit into my busy schedule. It's like, that's the crown jewel where everything I invest, I'm seeking you. I want to be close to you. I want to be full with you so that I can give it away. It's like, you got to like, when am I going to (laughs) work? Because that's not the primary thing anymore. Right? It's like everything gets infused with mission because I'm so full of hope. I, I can't, I have to give this away. Christ in me, the hope of glory is so consuming. I'm possessed with hope. Where's my gift? Where's it coming? Where is your hand of kindness depositing my gift of grace today? Where's the person? Where's the thing? Is it, what, what does it look like? But I, I don't know, but I gotta find it. Because that's when I come alive. That's what every day is about, is finding that and stepping into it. Right? And we have these huge aspirations to do these amazing things. Like, I want to change the world. I want to preach to millions of people. We want to have a big church. I want to have a big business. Like, whatever it is. We've got these big dreams. These are the compilation of day after day after day after day of stepping in to the grace of of today, right? Like we think that it's like, boom, it's just gonna happen, Spam, I'm here. It's like, no, no, that's not how he works. Every day is what gets you there. I pray a prayer often, I say, Lord, let me live today in a way that affects my grandchildren. In other words, let me live today in a way that I am walking into my destiny so that it's making an eternal difference because I'm not just doing good things. I'm doing the God things, the eternal things that I was born to do. Amen? It's time to really start hungering and thirsting for the more of God. Like, we have to get hungry. We, we have to get hungry. And the way you get hungry is you feed yourself Upon the word of God, upon the promise of God, upon the presence of God. You just feed yourself. Say, I don't feel like it. Force feed yourself. You get hungry spiritually when you eat. There was a season when I went to Israel, I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I was going on a crazy cool adventure. I was two days in. I wanted to go home because I was overwhelmed. I got caught in the middle of a riot and almost got my... My body blown up with rubber grenades, honestly. You can go on Facebook. My brother posted a video. And uh, that sounds pretty dramatic, and it was. Uh, they were not lethal grenades, but they were, boom, explosions. Everybody else was bloody. We were okay. But I was like, what the heck am I doing in Israel right now, Lord? I thought he told me to go on a sabbatical. So apparently his idea of sabbatical, because it was long story. Okay, never mind. Uh, I'm there, literally, two, three days in, I want to go home. The Lord speaks to me in the night. He said, I didn't call you here to go on a spiritual vacation. He said, I called you here to seek my presence and seek my face. He said, I want all your time, and I want you to seek me with all your time. He said, I want you to pray during the night. I want you to read the Bible. I want you to consume me. And I was like, that sounds horribly boring, Lord. I don't want to pray all day. Literally. Woke up in the morning. I looked at my brother. I said, God spoke to me. 
So what he says, he said he wants all the time, wants us to pray all day, wants us to read the Bible, wants us to be like a living house of prayer. He said, I felt like God told me the same thing last night. I said, crap. <laughs> Literally, we started praying. I think I probably read, I read the entire Bible in three months. I probably read the New Testament a dozen times. I was so hungry for God. It was in that season I began to hear his voice. I would literally have questions. They would come to me in answers. And I said, what is happening? I said, you consume my word. You get hungry for my presence. You become a channel where you're not so busy with the distractions of life. You're not so concerned with the cares of life anymore. It's just about me. And from that place, it built this foundation of things started happening. Miracles started happening. We spent a month in the city of Jerusalem literally praying night and day and day and night. We got out of that. We walked for three days in the wilderness and and the third day, we ran out of water, and literally a guy showed up on a bicycle in the middle of the desert in a hut and looked at me and said, do you need water? I said, how did you know that? <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, give me water. He said, where are you going? I said, that way. He said, don't go that way. Walk down that way. Take a right. You'll walk. Someone will pick you up and take you where you're going. I said, okay, you gave me water. I guess you can be trustworthy. We walked about an hour that way and ended up in a dead end. As soon as we went to turn around, someone pulled up in a car and said, where are you going? I said, here. He said, get in the car. We'll take you there. I said, okay. Dropped us off on top of a mountain. We walked down the mountain, got lost, ended up having to get to a city, standing in a city where there's no rooms at night. Some of you heard this story, and uh, literally I said, God, what are we going to do? I'm going to have to sleep on the concrete tonight. And a guy came up to me, looked at me, and said, the Holy Spirit told me to buy you a hotel room. Took us to a hotel room, gave us the money to pay for the whole hotel room, came back at 5 a.m. the next morning, handed us the money that we'd spent the entire first month that we'd been in Israel. And we were there on a posture of faith. Where was it coming from? Because we were so hungry for God. I didn't have anything else. I just needed, I just knew I needed God. I didn't want anything else. I didn't want the comforts anymore. I didn't want all my American dreams. I didn't want my identity to be founded in my performance. I didn't want it in athletics. I didn't want, I didn't know what I just wanted God. And out of that place, it just, it's just like he started cleansing me and just purifying me. And we fasted and we prayed and we saw him like I read in the book. And it changed me so fundamentally that everything, every day I've lived since that season has been different and I feel like sometimes God just like don't fall for the trap don't get stuck in this place of just mediocrity where you're just going through your days and giving him the you know here's my leftovers here's here's this I'll squeeze you in here squeeze you in there it's like we got to just get hungry and when you're hungry everything becomes an opportunity for prayer for when you're hungry it's like I'll pray 15 minutes here I'll pray five minutes here I'll worship in the car I'm gonna listen to the Bible and I go to sleep like I'm just hungry for you and it doesn't need to look like going to Israel. I'm just giving, I'm just trying to stir something up in you that you have time to seek his face. Actually, you don't have enough time not to. There's nothing more you can do important. And, and when you do that, it starts getting in, it cleanses you out, and you start hoping because you become a conduit. Conduit. It's like, okay, I'm just hungry, and then I'm, I'm alive. I'm alive now. I'm alive to you. I'm in the car, I'm at the bus, I'm alive to you. I'm at the gas station, I'm alive to you. I'm at the grocery store, I'm alive to you. I'm at work, I'm alive to you. And he just starts flowing, right? That's the posture that mission comes out of. And I feel like that's the message as I'm gleaning that right now. Is that we need to get to that place and I want to pray for that. So I'm going to be done now. <laughs> but... uh. Oh, praise the Lord. That is the posture of the heart that goes and then engages with the world in mission. 
And I believe that God doesn't just want to use this church to minister to individuals. He does. That's the body. That's the movement. We minister to the people. But I believe he's going to use this church to oppose the oppressive structures of society and start dreaming with him to create new ones that bring the kingdom. You know, and like, this is important because I've been wrecked this week and deeply disturbed um, thinking about the refugee population of the city like they were kicked out of their land by some type of war famine something and then they came here to America and they're stuck renting low-income apartments giving their money away each month in a system of oppression like they don't you know what I'm saying like land the whole bible I was just like it's like God's just the whole Bible is about a promised land, a promised land, a promised land. Even being in a church where we don't have a land and a home, I feel the fragility of it. Literally, the pursuit could say, hey, we don't feel like, you know, we're like homeless next week. That's a very vulnerable way to live your life. You need land. You need stability. You need security to be able to build a hope and a future. The hope and the future that God promises in Jeremiah 29 was the land. I'm going to give you back your land. How do you write a family legacy if you don't have a home? You know, and I'm just like sitting there and I'm going, oh my gosh, like these people don't have land. Like they don't have a home. They're, in a, they're like put in a way that they're, they're, in a, they're, in, they're in poverty. They come here and they're put into a situation of poverty that just begets more poverty and the cycle's broken. And I'm not saying that to like blame or judge anyone. I'm saying that's not the heart of God. That's not the kingdom. That's not his will happening. That's, that's degradation. That's an oppressive structure. And I'm saying God's looking for people that are going to start dreaming dreams. What does it mean to create something that brings the kingdom and gets these people homes and a land and an equity and a future? You following me? That's like one problem. I can get emotional about it. We have like a world full of brokenness. And the church is the answer. The people, you know, Mr. The People, we also got to create new structures. And that's why we're an, a body and we're an institution. But all of that will come from a heart that's hungry for God. Amen? All right, let's, uh, let's stand. Do, are, are worship team, do you have a song? All right, play a song. And uh, maybe let's just turn the lights and I'm just going to have everybody. Uh, you know, I just... Um, you know, everything's been different tonight, so I just want to, oh, you are playing a song, okay. Yeah, just play a song, and I just want to, um, I'm going to pray over everyone, but then if you're just like stirred and you want some hunger, you want to be disturbed, I just want to like actually lay hands on you, so we'll just, uh, we'll do that, so I'll invite you up after I pray, so you can stand up. Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's about you, Lord, not about our words, not about eloquent words of wisdom, God. It's about demonstration of your spirit and power. Paul prays he doesn't want people's faith to rest on his wisdom. He wants it to rest on the power of God. And, Lord, I pray tonight that you put a hunger inside of us for the power of God to flow. God, it's real. It's raw. It's transformative, it's miracle-working, it's wonder-working grace. And so I pray right now, God, that you, you disturb us, O oh Lord, when we've dreamed dreams that aren't your dreams, 
that you'll disturb us, God, when we've arrived safely at our destination because we stayed too close to the shore. God, take us out, out into the deep, God, to where we can begin to look out and see the stars because we're no longer so consumed by the light of this earth, God, but that we begin to see a vision of what you're dreaming in heaven. God, I pray that you disturb us. I pray that you awaken hunger and that you awaken hope and that you just get us into a posture from which a, a, an outpouring of spirit-breathed mission can come. God, we don't want it to be about our might. We don't want it to be about our strength. We want it to be about your spirit, Lord, and a yielded heart and surrender to you. So God, create capacity tonight for more of you. God, more of you. May we embody the cry, we just want more of you, and it doesn't matter what it costs, God. We just want more of you. Let us be a people who see your face. Let us be a people who behold you and, and are transformed to become like you. May we be a people that live like you, Jesus, that live and embody this missional mandate that changed the world, God, not because of our striving or our performance, but because of our yieldedness and our obedience. God, I thank you that your kingdom is inside of us, God, and it's not, it's not, it's not just near, it's at hand. Lord, and you've put it inside of us, and I pray, God, that, that Jesus in us begins to just stir he just begins to stir the Holy Spirit. You begin to stir us from the inside out and you compel us further up and further in and further out into the ones that you love, God. So we bless your name and we worship you tonight with all our hearts, God, and all our souls and all our minds and all our strengths. In Jesus' mighty name.